Hey, guten Abend. Wie geht's? See what's going on. Hidden history of monopolies. Short will American happiness and discontents. Chris Hayes, three reasons Democrats avoided a red wave in the midterms. Live midterm elections updates two days ago. Kind of getting a little burnt out on the on the um, elections we narrowly averted. Major fucking disaster. Republican takeover. Um, Tom Hartman presents the hidden history of American oligarchy in conversation with David Corton. That sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. Superhuman Geniuses, Extraordinary People documentary. Real stories. Oh, this sounds cool. Oh, I like this. Game is up. Disillusioned Trump voters tell their stories. 2022 full movie. Indie rights movies for free. free. This documentary. Hey guys, Magna is a student in the Evolve program. Let's listen to her story here. Do you remember having that kind of... That... <laughs> Rights movies. When you're in the conservative media world like I was in, you are told to say every day that Donald Trump walks on water. I was told by my bosses to only say good things about Donald Trump. I told them to go. Most of our opinions about Donald Trump do not come from CNN or from MSNBC or from Fox. Most of our opinions about Donald Trump come from Donald Trump himself. People say, oh, I should get over it, I should move on. But it's like, how can you? I mean, they lied about liberals, lied about Democrats, lied about Trump. It's kind of hard to just move on. I know quite a few uh, people my age who are in the Republican Party who they're thinking about leaving the Republican Party. They're thinking about leaving this Trumpism, this phenomenon. Yeah, we're good. We should. I threw up the red flag, I threw up the white flag, I threw up whatever I could throw up as a warning that this was bad agricultural policy and it was going to hurt us for a long time. I was reading the Bible and reading some scripture and, in the Bible, and some verses jumped out at me. And I had to repent for that. I, I, I said, God, I am sorry for voting for him. What does Jesus say? Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Where is that love God, love neighbor, love self? It, that's the kingdom of God. And what we're living with right now is Christianity that is about empire, not kingdom of God. This is not a political issue. 
This virus does not care. It doesn't care the color of your skin. It doesn't care about the God to whom you pray. It infects, it spreads like wildfire, and it can kill you. Game over. president on the Republican side I'm taking on Trump I just wanted to say hi I'm Joe Walsh I'm a Republican taking on Trump hey just wanted to say hi my name's Joe Walsh I'm a Republican taking on Donald Trump who is there a Democrat you like right now who could be them? I think he's everything our founding fathers feared I don't know how long I'll be a Republican I don't know how long I'll be in the race, because now I know I can't win. I just thought it was so important that there's a Republican out there calling them out um, every day. Okay, I've turned towards off. The Tea Party movement was born when W was still president. I ran for Congress in 2010. When I went to Washington, I directed a lot of my anger at Obama and the Republicans, but mostly it's the anger at Obama that a lot of people remember. These are all constructive ideas. Worth Come on, President Obama. Quit scaring the American people and quit talking about Band-Aids and peas. I'm Helene Miller-Walsh. I am Joe's wife. When he was there, we couldn't afford to get an apartment, so he is one of the many, many congressmen from both sides of the aisle who stayed in their office. And when I was there in D.C., I stayed with him in the office. It was romantic in a weird kind of way. <laughs> Full disclosure, Republicans hated me more than Democrats. Swear to God. I didn't go to Washington to make friends. We're better than that. Instagram have a deep, dark secret about how they make money selling their art. And I want to show it to you because if you're clever, of what we've done. March of 2013, Joe Walsh show premiered in Chicago. By February 27th, it was nationally syndicated. You want to say something on the radio and you want to get noticed. And so if you can just be a little outlandish, a little more outrageous. I got very anti-Obama. And I personalized my attack on Obama. I said things about Obama that I've had to apologize for. Were you ever aware of telling a lie when you were on the radio? Like, was 
No, um, not not a not a not any sort of policy lie. But w when I would say Obama's a Muslim, that's probably the best example you'll get, Melissa, from me of Joe Walsh saying something that he's only saying because uh, he wants to get a nice outrage from his listeners. He uh, didn't say, paid, you know, Russia he have to say, I, Hey guys, I'm joking. Yeah. I think the problem is we just America. We just lost the ability. Yeah, we, we can't to, say. Yeah. from Trump's world. The same people who voted for Trump voted for me. The same people who voted for Trump listened to me on the radio for six years. They were my family. In a way, I was part of the cult and I left the family. I come from a big old Irish Catholic family of nine kids. You'd call my family kind of suburban Republican. I've always loved history. My love for American history led me to my uh, lifelong interest in politics and policy. Got a master's degree in public policy with a specialization of urban poverty. I taught American government and American history at a number of community colleges in the Chicagoland area. Could fast forward to 2016. A lot of people assume I was big, big Trump supporter. Uh, I, I never really was a huge enthusiastic supporter. Donald Trump blocked me on Twitter because <laughs> I would criticize him. What a lot of people identify is that I'm going to grab my musket tweet. If Donald Trump loses, I'm going to grab my musket and I'm charging Washington. I thought it was a funny tweet. I mean, come on, a musket, really? I voted for Trump. He wasn't Hillary. That was an easy vote. The minute Trump won, I tried to do the whole good Trump, bad Trump thing. Every day, week, and month, it became harder for me to find good Trump. final straw for me away from Trump was Helsinki 2018, the summer of 2018. Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. My name is John Schindler, a former senior analyst and counterintelligence officer with the National Security Agency. The Helsinki uh, meeting between President Trump and President Putin of Russia, I, I think, was a, an eye-opener for a lot of Americans. This was not a normal sort of interaction uh, between an American leader and the leader of a, of a frankly hostile state, a, a major adversary. As the pair sat down together, the U.S. president delivered a wink and some effusive praise. I got so fucking pissed off, I started throwing things around the living room. I said, that's it, I'm done. Oh, it was terrible. I, I think uh, there was universal shock and disgust in our in our intelligence community. That 
the intelligence community assessment on the 2016 election that was publicly rejected, repudiated by the President of the United States in favor of the Russian take on what happened in 2016. Nothing like this has ever happened in our history. This was a truly shocking moment. And even, uh, you know, my Republican friends in the intelligence community had a lot of very troubling questions about what's going on here. I think that the United States now has stepped forward along with Russia and we're getting together and we have a chance to do some great things. And I don't see how any, any fair-minded person could watch what we saw on camera at Helsinki and not have just almost endless questions about what the real relationship is between Moscow and Donald Trump. I started investing in real estate with $3,000 that I borrowed from my mother. I'm going to show you an asset class that has protected the wealthy for the last 2,000 years. Real estate has changed my life forever. He started telling me, he goes, this is not going to end up well. I knew it was coming because he had been told by the network that if he didn't have anything nice to say about Trump, don't say anything at all. They stopped sending new advertising to him. They started moving some of his shows that were in smaller markets into the graveyard shift. And then I lost my radio show. I would speak my truth on Fox News, and then I lost Fox News. Well, I'm not going to lie, it made me sad. I love a platform. I love having the microphone. And I knew I was going to lose that platform because I believe this man was evil. I wasn't expecting death threats. We have these t-shirts that say Walsh Freedom. They left that t-shirt in our mailbox with a bullseye on the back and black marker. I got death threats every day. It endangered my life, but by now, I, I'm at peace. I did what I believed in. I put my country first. Let's be real. These are scary times. So the hell with all those conventional things. Today I'm declaring my candidacy for president of the United States because it's time, it's time to be brave. A big part of what I did when I ran for president was you saw me to apologize genuinely for everything I did to help put this asshole in the White House. <laughs> Someone who lies virtually every time he opens his mouth. And a lot of the angry Tea Party rhetoric that people like me expressed helped lead to Trump. We cannot afford four more years of Donald Trump. But you know what else led us to Trump? An absolutely arrogant, out-of-touch Republican Party establishment. What was the average Donald Trump supporter looking for? Their world was changing. Their world was changing too damn fast. The, the America they were used to, this is what they would tell me back in the 50s, 60s, and whatever, you know, it, it was changing. Donald Trump heard them and just frickin' took advantage of them and demagogued them. My name is Jennifer Murcia, and I'm an associate professor at Texas A&M University, and I wrote a book called Demagogue for President, The Rhetorical Genius of Donald Trump. 
a demagogue literally translates into a leader of the people. Um, and that's what it meant in ancient Greece. And the second definition is the one that we're more familiar with. And that is um, a villainous character. It's someone who uses polarizing propaganda and who polarizes for their own gain. Of course, the most infamous demagogue, the one that everyone knows, is Adolf Hitler. And Donald Trump does all of those things that Hitler recommended that the demagogue would do. They were things like using slogans, having rallies, using force, silencing opposition, making it seem like what the people who were attending rallies had was something very special. They're incredible people. You work so hard and you're smart as hell using reification, which is treating people as objects. Republicans believe in the rule of law, not the rule of the mob. That's what it is. That he's very effective at using demagogic rhetoric um, to control the public sphere, to polarize, to increase distrust. He's actually very strategic, and he's very consistent um, in how he uses his strategies. The border is a much more dangerous problem. It's a much bigger problem. It's a problem of national security. It's a problem of terrorists. You're worried about people coming in the country? I'll build a wall. He said, I'll bring back clean coal. I'll bring back manufacturing. I'll bring back Christmas, right? Well, you can say Merry Christmas again. Oh, God, it'll be 1958 again. The man who brought Christmas back to America. And it was all a bunch of bullshit and lies, but he responded to them, and the rest of the party didn't. And all of the strategies that Trump uses prevent us from holding him accountable, either because he's demonizing his opposition, denying them humanity and standing, or um, you know, ingratiating himself with his followers in such a way that they won't hold him accountable and question what he does. slowly this is the fastest phone charger on the market there's a 90% chance your phone and it's um, exactly what the framers of the Constitution tried to prevent so he is a con man uh, Donald Trump is and you're right he's a really good demagogue and and he's been able to fool people and con people uh, to the point where Almost all of his followers will follow him till the bitter end. Does it bother you that he's increased the debt faster and more than Obama did? Does that bother you? No. Is that it? No, I'd have to. I'd have to. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. That's a fact. Yeah, not even close. Do you think Donald Trump had a rally in Des Moines a week and a half ago? I went and talked to people in line before they went into the rally. Most freaking, bizarre, depressing thing I've ever done. Uh, I asked 40 people, my God, I asked 40 people one simple question. Do you think Donald Trump has ever lied to you? No. Never? Never. I mean, because he was pretty much a straightforward guy. I don't know, I don't. He who believes not. No. <laughs> All 40 said no. They didn't hesitate. No, he hasn't lied. No, he hasn't lied. What is that? Because we know he does all the time. It really is like the But I think a lot of people, a lot of the Trump people believe he doesn't. 
because every goddamn day, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram are telling them that he doesn't lie. And they believe that. Laura Ingram and Tucker and Rush, they're smart. They're manipulating their listeners. Like they're trying to foment unrest. I've tweeted often the last five months that watching Fox News can get you killed. They lied to their audience about coronavirus. They purposely fed them shit they know is not true. Because you had the president, the idiot out there, talking about the virus is no big thing. Um, they're fomenting unrest right now. You've got Antifa out there. They're coming for you and your guns, and they're coming for your family. They're purposely trying to manipulate and scare their viewers. I find that to be off the charts dangerous. Fear sells. We know that. Fear appeals. Outrage. Outrage is great at creating an audience. And so the Fox News formula, unfortunately, is frustration, outrage, fear appeals, uh, demonizing the other. And that's a great recipe for building a loyal audience. But it's a scary world for that audience. Um, and that scary world <laughs> abuts with reality sometimes and, uh, in unfortunate ways. I did not plan on coming in today, into this studio today, to lead with what I'm about to say. But wouldn't you know it, Trump opened his damn stupid mouth. I mean... Trump has been a cold, hard slap across my face because I've watched him every day now, the last three and a half years, and listened to him every day. And at least once a week, I go to bed, I've gone to bed these last three and a half years, and I've said to myself, oh my effing God, did I sound like that? Did I spew shit like that? Have I been that ugly with my personal politics? The election of him has forced me, and it's a good thing, to change my tone. Um, I'm still the same Tea Party conservative, but you and I can sit down. Maybe five years ago we couldn't have, because I was a jackass. You're not. Maybe I was. I've changed my tone. Liberating! Oh, I'm out of the closet, baby. I'm sitting here naked. It, oh, my God. It's, it's, no, it's, it's a very liberating experience. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm no longer the guy just fighting and being an SOB. I'm trying to, to pull people in. I'm trying to have conversations. Uh, I, I find it much more liberating. And so they're doing everything they can to rig the system to make sure that Donald Trump is the nominee. That's been clear in every single state. tomorrow on CNN that I'm ending my campaign. Uh, the life of a soon-to-be former campaign Oh, manager. my God. The glamour. The glamour. And a map. Um, okay, we are following this gray mobile. Yeah, remember that? Time. How fucking Just undemocratic. Again, and it's been outstanding radio. He's getting a really great, diverse audience. Somebody sent him an email yesterday. I thought it was so perfect. They said, when somebody says, Joe... I don't agree with you. He said, I never know if they're going to be a Democrat or a Republican. 
Joe is listening to the audience and they're having a discussion and he's saying, look, I'm going to listen to your opinion. Now hear what I have to say on the issue. And then, you know, think about it. Call me back. We'll talk about it again. Send me an email. Yo, boom. Joe Walsh back with you. This is the Joe Walsh show. Donald Trump is everything our founders feared because we began this great experiment called America by doing what? By revolting against a king. A king. A dictator, an authoritarian. And now 230 some years later, we have that very person in the White House. A king, a dictator. Um, that, regardless of politics, that should scare everyone. Ever wonder if conservatives have anything good to say about liberals? Well, today I'm here at the March for Life with conservatives gather every single year to protest abortions and march for life. I'm going to ask them, what is one good thing you can say about liberals? I don't know if they'll have anything good to say, but I'm certainly excited to find out. Let's go see. Haven't finished your degree, but want to? Meet the Finish Line Scholarship at SUU. Up to 100% tuition fund. I first began to be aware of Donald Trump's run for presidency when he came down those Trump Tower stairs on that fateful day. When Donald Trump became the nominee, it became very clear to me that as a member of the Republican Party, I was expected of supporting him. And also I wanted to support him because I believed that that was the message that I wanted to convey to others, that the Republican Party is the right party. After he became the nominee, I actually attended a few Trump rallies with my dad, who I forced to drive me all the way to upstate New York, five hours away. My dad even shook hands with him, I took a picture with Mr. Trump. And yeah, at that time, I was very, very captivated by him. I thought he was charming, and I began to actually believe in his message. We need somebody that literally will take this country and make it great again. I began to think that he would make America great again. I began thinking that Donald Trump would be the best thing that had ever happened to America. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. My parents always took their right to vote very seriously because they did come from the Soviet Union and being in America, to them, voting was a tremendous privilege. I think that she started being interested in politics probably when she was 12. But then it somehow grew into a real hurricane. My political opinions kind of started to form. I affiliated myself with the Republican Party and with the conservative movement. So I started off with my political involvement by volunteering on a few local campaigns and I'd gotten to know some people in the local Brooklyn Republican Party who saw that I was very politically ambitious. I expressed to them that I wanted to make a teen Republican club. And the Brooklyn Teen Republican Club are putting something like this together. They're not only speaking from their club, they're speaking for the people of this Brian, and back in the 1970s, when I was a teenager, I had Botch's job with the Teenage Republicans in Brooklyn. 
And for the last 30 years or so, a political consultant working here in New York and in about a dozen other states for clients like John McCain. I met Bachelet when she was asked to moderate a city council debate between three candidates, one of whom was my client. I think she was 16 years old at the time, and wow, impressive. You know, she was a rising star in the Republican Party and someone that was considered a real superstar. She was someone that was talked about as, you know, can we get her to work on our campaign? You know, what would she want? You know, how can we approach her? A lot of local politicos were stunned by her because she was so young. I don't even know whether they knew how young she was. Nobody ever asked me for a release. And I was quite perplexed by that. As much as I may have had some concerns or differences, it was very important for me not to interfere. I used to attend some turning point events. It was very easy to meet people who are quite famous in the Republican Party. And it was definitely very intoxicating seeing the president, his sons, all his uh, staff members, being able to take pictures with them, talking with them about the work you're doing to help the president was very empowering me. Unfortunately, it kind of blinds you. I definitely watched a lot of Fox News say it as far away as I could from CNN or what Trump would call Clinton News Network because I did buy into the whole, I would say now, conspiracy that, oh, CNN is trying to brainwash you, you know, ABC is trying to brainwash you, NBC is trying to brainwash you. But not Fox. Fox News is the ultimate network. I'm Stephen Hassan, and I'm a mental health counselor. Uh, I'm a cult expert based on my 40 plus years of activism after I got deprogrammed out of the moon cult, which I had been recruited into in the 70s. I wrote The Cult of Trump as an act of conscience about Trump having the stereotypical profile of a cult leader, which is malignant narcissism. It's a term that Eric Fromm first coined. It has all of the characteristics of narcissism, but then all of the psychopathic antisocial characteristics as well. And Trump had all of them. As I say, crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary. She's as crooked as they come. I was watching him use cult leader playbook kinds of linguistic tactics. He made a deal with the devil. She's the devil. Of course, the certainty. An angry Democrat uh, was on a mission to resist Trump's Trump delay. The repetition, the name calling. Because they're fake. With sticky terms for his opponents that are very hypnotic. Pocahontas, Elizabeth Barnes. No, no, seriously, she's becoming mainstream. Oh my God, what were Donald Trump's rallies like? They were always filled with very long waits for President Trump to actually arrive. There is a psychology behind waiting for a really long time. He made many people stand for about seven hours, eight hours, older people like my dad, which was definitely not very nice of him. Because you have an investment, you know, and so your mind starts orienting to this must be worth it because I'm waiting all of these hours. They were intense. They were 
filled with screams, they were filled with chants of lock her up, sometimes they were even filled with cursing. There's nothing wrong with chanting on the influence continuum, it's a benign form of social influence. The problem is when you have an authoritarian that wants complete loyalty, that wants complete obedience and dependence. And there's a contagion effect when you're with a group of people. If you're chanting it, it will make you believe it and it will make you feel good about it. So it's a self-reinforcing cycle of the cult identity. It was definitely, you know, you felt like you were just overfilled with adrenaline when you were at these rallies. Um, it's kind of like a drug, if you ask me, a very, very unhealthy drug. Information overload was a huge technique where people would get so overloaded that they'd kind of get in a numb state and then they can get indoctrinated. There were a lot of people that go from rally to rally to rally to rally, and it's like a, a music event. They've got these big screens up, Junior and Ivanka, and they're all there on the screen giving a message. It was insane. We will build the wall, believe me. And who is going to pay for the wall? Who? 100% folks. He kind of had this hold on everybody in the crowd. He made everybody completely agree with whatever he was saying, even when he said some pretty borderline things. parallel with Jim Jones, with Hubbard of Scientology, Moon, Koresh, Warren Jeffs of FLDS. We will make America strong again. And I knew that this was not a healthy person to run the most important country and most powerful country in the world. Ooh, my eyes. Thank you. Did you know that there's a specific 2,000-year-old Korean food that you can eat to help get rid of your heartburn naturally? And did you know that acid reflux and heartburn affect nearly one-third of adults in the U.S. on a weekly basis? That's over 100 million people every single week suffering from that irritating, uncomfortable, stinging sensation after meals. Most people reach for over-the-counter and most powerful country in the world. We will make America great again. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. I was working at the time for Darren Aquino, and he somehow managed to attain 15 tickets to the inauguration and to the inaugural ball. I went with him and with the rest of our campaign team. It was honestly, it was one of the best times of my life. I remember there was a small group of people who snuck into the very front of the inauguration with resist signs. And I remember thinking that they were just completely crazy. But looking back now, they knew what was coming. They felt it. They felt the danger that this president could cause. They felt what we could not. 
heard over the last couple of days. I remember very clearly watching that whole press conference. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. And just thinking, how can the President of the United States say that there are fine people on the sides of racists and white supremacists? Being that I am Jewish, and in my family, we have had over 40 people killed in affiliation with the Holocaust, it was very troubling that he could even somewhat agree with the people that apparently want me kicked out of America. White supremacists run down a young woman with a car because she's demonstrating against them? I just think that um, that was a moment that crystallized for her and for a lot of people that something is really wrong with this man. It was in some ways quite shocking to me. Making America great again reminded me of Adolf Hitler's slogans and both myself and my husband told her about it. We tried to make sure that she understands a lot about the history and the, how it could evolve and about human rights for sure and human dignity. Both my parents grew up in the Soviet Union where nobody was allowed to express how they think. It was 1984, but in real life. It was the North Korea of the 20th century. In a totalitarian regime, every aspect of the life is controlled. There is no freedom of speech. There is no information. People were arrested for smiling under certain circumstances. Everything had to be uniform. You had to be part of the crowd, and you had to be the same as everyone else. In the 1970s and 80s, you had a movement of dissidents who were primarily Russian Jews, who became known as Refuseniks, for their refusal to, to accept the Soviet system. And the Refuseniks got a lot of attention on the true nature of the Soviet system in a way that, you know, previous dissidents had not been able to. My husband actually had been a Refusenik. And when we got married, he was already hoping that he would be allowed to leave the country. But it turned out that my addition to his family meant that nobody could leave because there was a daughter of a famous scientist and a political dissident, and such people weren't allowed uh, to leave the country. The Soviets wanted to make life as unpleasant as possible for these people and succeeded in many cases. The lucky ones got out, not all did. Very story got started. We finally left in the very beginning of 1988. So the miracle happened and we left. By having parents that grew up in that environment in the Soviet Union, I realized that we can't let that happen in America. I remember getting a phone call from one of the leaders of the Brooklyn Republican Party saying that the comments that I had made to a reporter about my club being dissatisfied with Trump's Charlottesville comments, all they said was, I'm extremely disappointed. And my members, my team Republican members, were extremely disappointed in the comments he made in Charlottesville. And he said, well, you can't say that. You're Republicans. You can't say that. And I remember being so infuriated at the moment and thinking to myself, why is somebody telling me and my members how to think? How can we allow that to go on? We have a president who has a terrible relationship 
with leaders of free nations, of European nations, and then we have him having a great relationship with dictators. And I think that's very, very telling. Most people in the United States have never experienced living in a dictatorship. From the experiences of my parents, which they've always shared with me to make sure that I know what is dangerous and that if America ever becomes like that, it would be dangerous. I will say that they don't want it. Maybe right now there are some Trump supporters that are even saying we should only have the Republican Party, or rather the Trump Party, and that is such a dangerous thing to say because they don't want to live in a place like the Soviet Union. They don't want to live in a place like Nazi Germany. Because what ends up happening is mass murder, mass propaganda, mass brainwashing, and they don't want that for our country, even if they don't know it. Herschel Walker. Mr. Well, Walker has declined to participate and is represented by an empty podium. point where I was like, well, what do I do now? I was afraid of coming out and saying, hey, I don't support this guy anymore. I can't support him. I just can't do it. When I began seeing people openly going out and saying, hey, we cannot support this man any longer. What he's doing is dangerous to this country. I began to be inspired by it. I began to think maybe I can do it too. It will not be the end of the world. At the end of the day, I have to stay true to who I am. I remember I was not the same person as I was at CPAC 2018, standing and applauding for him, waiting in lines for hours just to be in the front when he was speaking. This time I was in the back. I left after a few hours because I was so tired and he was just going on and on and on, ranting, obviously not reading anything off of the teleprompter. I just didn't care anymore. I realized then that, wow, this is really it. This is over. I, my relationship with Trump is truly, truly over. Last year, I took being with the Republican Party and leaving it very seriously, but this is how she is. She takes everything very seriously. She takes a lot of time to ponder, to think. Uh, then she comes out with her conclusion. The biggest relief for me wasn't even her political choice that changed but that she was allowing herself to see the truth. I think that this is the most important thing. I graduated from high school in June of 2019, and I decided to take a gap year to figure out more what I want to do later on in life, to figure out who I am, and that has definitely helped me continue to come out of this Trumpism that I was in for so long. But, yeah. I'm Dr. Dina Grayson. I'm a physician, scientist, and an expert in viral pandemic threats. Israel was very quick to recognize that there was a problem, and they were science-based about it. Israel's citizens, they really followed the directions that were given to them by the government. 
Trump supporters respect Trump more. So regardless of them hearing medical opinions, if they hear Trump say that, hey, coronavirus is not a big deal, then it's not a big deal for them, regardless of what all the medical doctors are saying. I can't even imagine how Basha felt being in Israel, knowing that her family and loved ones are in New York City, but knowing that your loved ones are in a place, that the government's not doing anything, they're ignoring the threat, you see what the Israeli government's doing, you know, she must have felt just helpless. I mean, it must have been horrifying. This is my last stop. I came back from Israel, where I spent six months on my gap year. Uh, afterwards, I spent two weeks in quarantine because of coronavirus. After coming back to the U.S. and flying into the airport, I immediately felt that everything was very much out of place, especially compared to when I was last here. We're Americans! If Hillary Clinton would have won, the world would have been told it was being sent back to America. Unfortunately, many of my former colleagues in the Republican Party have completely become Trump bots. They now harass me on Facebook whenever I post anything they say really, really nasty things to me, which honestly don't bother me. Lati is very resilient. It doesn't mean that she doesn't get hurt, but she can rise up above that. That's true. In order to come to the understanding I have now, about the president and about the current state of our country, I had to go through what I had to go through with supporting Trump and working for the GOP. And without that experience, I would not have been able to ever fully see the extent of what Trump is doing and how harmful it is. I feel very grateful to be out. I feel grateful to see the light, so to speak. And I feel like the second you see what Trump is doing and the harm that it's doing to this country and to our nation as a whole, you can't unsee it, and I'm just praying that Trump supporters finally see it, so that they can unsee it and that they vote the right way. You know, when I became of political age, I came of age in the Reagan year, when we talked about a shining city on the hill. He was talking about bringing people up, making people feel that there was something better out there that we could cheat. You know, there's a perception out there that most farmers are Republicans. That's true. No, that's true. Because they're conservative in nature just by their wires. It's the independence. I got involved in my local party on my Republican Central Committee. Listen. I'm a Reagan Republican. Uh, the ideals of, of diplomacy, the ideals of statesmanship, American exceptionalism, if you will. We will make America wealthy again. So then we get President Trump as a nominee. And I say, all right, what are we going to do? I and those around me struggled. We struggled with this. I theorized. I said, all right, consoling myself. There's nothing that candidate Trump can do that our tried and true institutions or the Congress can't fix. 
soft mineral in your mouth if you can taste metallic blood in your decaying teeth or have dragon's breath, toothaches, bleeding or... Or the Congress. Can't fix. Here's the tagline. Boy, was I wrong. My name is Brian Keel. I'm co-executive director of Farmers for Free Trade. Farming is much more than a profession. It's really a way of life. It's a culture. It's a heritage. And for, for farm families, it's about not just keeping your farm alive for yourself, but being able to pass it on to your kids and your grandkids. Born and raised in Shelby County, Ohio. In 1983, my wife Deb and I uh, started on our own. We had a pickup truck, a two year old daughter. Thank <laughs> you. 
journey. Because he had to go it alone. He had to go it alone. The United States has been taken advantage of for many years by many countries, but nobody's done it like China. The president is very, very good at playing the victim. And then imposing that victimhood on those that he's speaking to, whatever the group is, he'll use what I call subjective descriptors as unfair, ripped off, cheated. Trump has said, I'm going to fix it for you. And he says, everyone else is corrupt. All of these politicians are a part of the problem. They're part of the conspiracy. He presents himself as the best version and the best example of America winning. Um, and because he is such a winner, he will win for America. And you know, it'll be easy for him to do. And what we did in 2016, it's never been done before, and we're going to do it, I think, again in 2020. He hasn't provided the One of the things that Trump does repeatedly is he uses um, a rhetorical strategy that's very common in propaganda called glittering generalities, which says, it's going to be so great. It's going to be perfect. You're going to love it. Um, you know, I'll tell you my plan later. <laughs> And so you believe him that he has a plan, and a lot of times you'll sort of self-persuade. So you'll agree that his plan is the greatest because it's the plan that you would do. So you provide him with that plan in your head, and he can get away with not providing one at all. Beginning in January through the middle of the year in 2018, the administration picked a fight with, I believe, every country on the planet sort of Israel. And the way they picked that fight was through punitive tariffs. President Trump's chief trade advisor, Peter Navarro, said, no, I don't think other countries will retaliate against us. We're a large market. They can't afford to lose us. Well, everybody did retaliate against us, and it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that they would. They retaliated by imposing their own tariffs, import tariffs, on our agricultural products left our sales collapse around the world, which then left our pricing collapse. So now all of a sudden, we're not competitive. We are being deceived. The border crisis is not like what we've been told. Behind the five million illegal immigrants who entered our country in the last few years are criminal cartels, the United Nations, and the U.S. government. It really hit our farmers hard. We found that our exports overnight dropped, for example, in the case of China, from 20 billion a year down to less than 10 billion, about 9 billion in exports. So we lost 11 billion dollars worth of market activity just with that one trade war. Let me tell you who made these trade deals. Farmers have built these trading relationships over decades with all of these countries. We developed those markets in the Pacific Rim so that we were bringing dollars back by the boatload. And those were going right into rural communities, right into the hardware store, right to the feed store, right to the fuel store, and into local schools through property taxes. I think some farmers were on board at the beginning, but there's a lot of people who were losing faith. And I think there's a lot of realization that this trade strategy of President Trump's is really decimating the heartland placing very massive tariffs on China. And just so you understand, these tariffs are paid for largely by China. You know, one of the things that is mind-boggling here 
is the president continues to say that China or other countries that we've implied tariffs on import taxes, that those countries are paying the tariffs. An unsuspecting public who isn't knee-deep in politics buys that. The American people are paying those import taxes. And every time the president stands up and says that, I want to kick my foot through the TV because people are buying that. They buy it. The people that pay the tariffs are the U.S. businesses that are importing products. You're paying the extra cost, and you're paying that cost to the U.S. Treasury. It's the government interfering in a market and creating inefficiencies in the market. You know, let, let, let me give you an example of how Trump has proceeded to ravage through the American people. It goes like this. People were frustrated before President Trump. It was like, say you've got termites in your house, okay? You hired two, three exterminators, and they have pretty much the same procedures as one chemicals. But you know. Oops. Shit. Home. 
That hit home with people. And you say you wouldn't support him now, is that right? And that set me off on a cable news frenzy, which resulted in the local Republican Party disavowing me <laughs> as a central committee member. Right then, the war was on. The war was on. When I started to get out of step with the 